Shalom Alekin. Alekin Shalom. Well, how are you doing this evening? Doing excellent. Uh, even better now that I get to draft with you and, and elucidate on this half Torah this week. Well, um, you want to start with the Haftorah Baraka? Of course. Go ahead. All right. Stand by. Let me get over here. Birkat Haftorah. Amen. Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Baruch Atah Adonai for the revelation of Torah, for your servant Moshe, and for your people Israel, and for the prophets of truth and righteousness. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Hasis, what do we have for the Hav Torah insights this week? Well, the Hav Torah, it's, it's really spectacular. And I think it's one of those that at first glance, we just kind of glaze over because we heard the story so many times that we're prone to miss the little details and the little questions that might come up when you look at it just through an objective lens. Um, but what, uh, since there are half Torah, it's uh, the, the count of the spies. This is how it correlates to our Parsha, right? Moshe. Uh, the, had, the people had Moshe send the spies over to Eretz Israel. Now we have this account of Yehoshua sending two spies over, and they go into the city of Jericho, and there's uh, a lady, a lady, a, a prostitute innkeeper known as Rachav, and she takes him in, hides him, and long story short, she, she sets them free. Um, she, she allows them to escape, and then Rachav and her whole family later on, if you continue reading Joshua, end up being saved um, through this sign of this scarlet thread. Mm. And what, uh, what I really want to focus on in this section is just the process of how these, these spies escaped and like essentially the process of their salvation and and Rahab and her entire family's salvation, if I could have the liberty to use that word. Well, you may have the liberty. It's interesting that you're bringing up salvation when it pertains to Rahab and a scarlet thread. Something about uh, though your sins are scarlet, they may be purified as white as snow. Yes, exactly. And I love that you brought down that concept down because this whole scarlet thread, it's, it seems there's just something so interesting about it. You know, at first glance, like, okay, well, why, why does it matter the color? But it's like you said, um, it's like all throughout Tanakh and Torah, you have these specific phrases and they're links into different pieces and, and once you follow those links, you follow that line, you gain these deeper, different insights, these deeper insights into what, what is really the, the meaning and the allusion to what's happening in our story. And one of those is Isaiah, where it's talking about our, though our sins may be scarlet, they're going to turn as white as so. So this scarlet thread does have this aspect of atonement to it, which is very mysterious and 
appealing. All right. So I'd, I'd like to start in and really focus in on chapter Justice is Yehoshua 2, verses 16, 17, and 18. And I'm just going to read these three verses and then get into the commentary. Anything you want to add before I go in? Uh, no, please go. All right. <laughs> and she said to them, go to the mountain, lest your pursuers meet up with you. Hide there three days until they return to the city and then go on your way. They said to her, may we be blameless in this oath that you have made us take. When we come into this land, tie this line of scarlet string in the window by which you let us down. Then gather your father and mother and brothers and your whole father's household into your house. Wow. Like and a so lot there's, going on in the Erit right there. Yes. There's a, there's a lot going on in the Erit in the Hebrew. Um and so this whole whole deal is she's telling them to go on this mountain path. And then there's this idea of this scarlet thread that we talked about or discussed a little bit. And this is how they've they've gotten down, how they've gotten out of her uh, apartment home, whatever it was structured at that time. Right. And this brought them to salvation, their own salvation and escaping and to go back to Yehoshua and be able to report to him. And so, so you're, you're connecting salvation leads to a mountain and a hiding place yes there's all this illusion just in these three verses right here so you need three verses take you to another place and speaking on three verses there's this illusion of three days oh. uh see rahav there's this beautiful story going on in the background and rahav she was 10 years old when the when our forefathers left mitzrayim and she has been yearning to be a part of Khal Israel uh, since that day. But she's been at Jericho 40 years being trapped by, by kings and, and the people holding their, her there as an innkeeper and as a prostitute. Um, and they just wouldn't let her leave. And so she's been waiting for the chance for them to come into land so she could be a part of the people. And so she has this deep yearning. And meanwhile, there's this backstory of the spies. So Yehoshua... And our two spies, which are Caleb and Pincus, um, they all have this idea going in that they're looking for trees, like Moshe prophesied. He says, go and look for good trees, right? And he's referring to people. He's referring to potential converts. And this is the really underlying mission, their heart of the mission. And they're trying to make this almost redemption for the, the, the spies in our Parsha of Shalach who came in and says, there's nothing good in the land, the people, there's nothing good about the people. And there's this, there's this heavy illusion to converts there. And so you, you have these two dynamics going on. You have this group that's coming in and trying to look for people who can redeem them before this destruction comes. And then there's this one person who's yearning to be a part of Kali Israel and to, and not just for her own sake, but for her entire household's sake. And so there's this beautiful, uh, tapestry being woven in the backstory once we come to this part. Wow. And so... Well, um, I don't know if we can go ahead and do a quick transition because um, Ishpela, 
just messaged and said he's ready to rock and roll with us. All right. Do you mind we if we uh, take a quick break and add him into the call? Excellent. Let's do it. All right. So stand by. We'll be back after this. All right. Shalom. Welcome back. Shalom. Good to be back. Is Shalom with us? Uh, don't see him on the screen yet. Um, let's, oh, you know what? It says we can add him to the call from here. So let me go ahead and do that. All right. So to the list. Here, so uh, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> it's uh, really actually pretty nifty because while you're in the middle of recording, if somebody's like, hey, what are y'all doing over there? We can be like, stand by. Here's the link. And they hey, like, join the club. Let's talk Torah. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, Was that, hey, he gets it. <laughs> yes. I'm sure he will. Alright, Brugasham. So, uh, if we'll go ahead and continue and if as he joins, we'll keep going. Alright. And so, we, we talked about this tapestry last time we left off that's going behind the scenes. And essentially, Rahab's yearning for to be part of the Jewish people, and she uh, comes to this point where she acknowledges her her years of um, prostitution, or is this complete sin? And what she lets out, she lets out to Hashem this heartfelt prayer. And I'm gonna go ahead and read read her prayer, so you can understand like the sincerity in her words. It says, "Master Universe." With three things have I sinned, with this rope and this window and with this wall. How many times have I used them to let men in and out to sleep with me? How many times have I used them for evil? But now I'm using them for good. I'm using them to help these righteous men escape. May this good deed be an atonement for all the sins that I did with them. O most one, please accept my repentance and hear my prayer. And what Hashem says to her. I I don't know what's going on. Uh Oh, did it cut me off? For some reason, it went down to a lower volume. I don't know what happened. Uh Oh, do you want to just cut it out and restart or try to wait till Shlomo gets on? Uh, Yes, let's go ahead and do that because I'm not sure what exactly just happened. All right, and Shalom, welcome back. Shalom, good to be back. All right, Brukasham. So Ishpela has apparently had technical difficulties. So relinking him. And uh, if we could go back. Oh, I see him. There, hey, Shalom. 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 Ishpela. Well. Whoa. I I have to say it's fitting that you join us, Shlomo, um, because now we have three people on this call, and we were just talking about elucidating the three days, and Rahab was talking about these three things which would she sinned, which would now be an atonement for her. So, man, what did I so, just walk into? It's all just it's all tying up, and yes, pun intended. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Stand by. <laughs> All right. 
So what you rocked into, Shlomo, is this there's this backstory going on, and we're talking about the the spies that Yehoshua sends in our half Torah. And okay. the spies are on the mission to look for converts and redeem them. And Rehav is has been yearning to be part of Kol Israel for for like 40 years. And she's been trapped in this as as a prostitute in Jericho, and she's been kept there by these kings who just will not let her leave. And she comes to realize the error of her ways, and she offers this prayer of repentance. And she says this, Master Universe, with three things have I sinned, with this rope and with this window and with this wall. How many times have I used them to let men in and out to sleep with me? How many times have I used them for evil? But now I'm using them for good. I'm using them to help these righteous men escape. May this good deed be an atonement for all the sins that I did with them. Oh, merciful one, please accept my repentance and my prayer. And go for it. Because I agree, I just couldn't help but think about the insight from the parasha on uh, Zizi because how Rahab is using these three items to make tikkun. There's a story in uh, Menachot 44a of a harlot who also made tikkun with her bed. And so there was this... uh, Really? To, to basically kind of sum it up because it's kind of long. So uh, in a nutshell, there is a, let's see, it says there was a man who was very scrupulous about the precept of Zizit. And he heard of a certain harlot who took 400 oh. gold dinars for her hire. He sent her 100 and appointed a day with her. So as they progressed throughout their time, uh, it gets to the point where his zizi come out. And upon seeing them, he flees. So she goes to find him. And uh, when, when, they, when, he, when she finds, it says, um, I will not leave until you tell me your name, the name of your town, the name of your teacher, the name of your school by, in which you study Torah. Because it, she was so impressed by the fact that the zizi would cause him to gain his com- regain his composure and like you know make shuva basically even in the midst of an act and so long story short she ends up marrying him and it says that the bed clothes uh or the bed the bedding that let's see let me just read it here wrote all this down okay the very bed clothes which she spread for him for an illicit purpose, she now spread out for him lawfully. So that's Menachot 44a, if you want to read the whole story at some other point for all the listeners. But as you're talking about Rahab and the three things that she used for sin, and now she's using them for Shuva, you know, I just couldn't help but think of that story. Wow, that's that's an awesome connection. And I think that's it's even more so because you know what what leads her to say this, or at least at least part of what's part of the commentary is that she lets them down by this rope. So it's kind of like this, like this, maybe like a slight allusion to the zitzit. 
Oh, wow. Because it would hang off the side. Off the, okay. Yeah. I see what you did there. And well, there's something that I was, I was reading earlier about the root of uh, the zitzit. It's a word for zitzit. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah, he's about to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. So, on this, this commentary from Zitzit that Mame Lois brings down, he says, the word Zitzit means etymologically the same as the word Hatsatsa, looking at, as in, oh, snap. as in, Shir Hashir two nine. Come on, Shir Hashir two nine, and it, it says it's like he peers mazitz through the lattices, Mm-mm-mm. and so it's it's funny that you bring out this story, of of this guy who goes to see the prostitute because this and then he ends up marrying her right because right. this right. this idea if you go to two nine it says this it says my beloved is like a row or young heart behold he stands behind the wall he looks in the windows he mazitz he glances or peers through the lattice and so there's this idea of this the zitzitz being as if you're you're watching you're watching your beloved and what's even more interesting is this whole connection that uh, Rahav ends up through this scarlet thread, this rope, she ends up being brought to Yehoshua, who ends up being her future husband. Mm. Good night. And so th- this idea of this uh, scarlet thread, this the kind of like this allusion to the zitzit being, the, there's this concept of matrimony behind that. So that right. kind of makes me think of the woman with the issue of blood who touches Yeshua because when she reaches out for his zit zit, the fact that mm. she was in a state of impurity would have separated her from her husband. And through the zit zit, she would have been able to reconnect with her husband. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, that is incredible. Wow. Well, I even think I even think that there's a there's also a, a um, correlation to how he instructs her. Okay, if you stay true to your word and tell everybody to come into your house, because if they are found outside the house, they will be they will be dead. Almost kind of like a pesach, you know. Oh, like this is her own Damn. little little mini pesach. Because mm, like the scarlet thread, like outside yeah. the door, like the exactly. the blood that would have been like that scarlet color. Exactly. And it's exactly. also a sign, just like in Pesach. Another beautiful correlation. Man. It sounds like y'all are talking about the salvation story. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, your host was in the story, so, I, I, you know. <laughs> I mean, might as well, right? <laughs> and on this, on this concept, it says, on, it answers, Hashem answers her prayers. And it says... And God accepted her prayer as the Torah states, quoting Psalms 145.18, God is close to all who call upon him, 
to all who call upon him sincerely. And it specifies here that the prayers of a pagan will be heard even if he calls out to God. Ooh. It says, it does not simply say all Jews or all righteous men, but, but simply all. Even the prayers of a pagan will be heard if they call out to God with a true heart. And what's more than this is not only were her prayers answered, not only was she granted this 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 atonement for her what deeds. Sleek, um, but, what, um, excuse me, what what Tehillim was that? Tehillim one forty five eighteen. Okay, he's about to go crazy over this. And so, not only was she granted this atonement for her deeds to this prayer, but. But Hashim actually gives her this divine inspiration. He reveals this great secret to her. Wow. And this is where it tells, she tells him to go into the mountain. She got this idea from Hashim. And Madam Loa's comments here says, God had revealed a great secret to her. He told her that he would never let the righteous remain in danger more than three days. Ooh. There are many instances of the righteous being saved specifically on the third day. Yonah remained in the belly of a great fish for two days, and then God commanded the fish to spit him out. When the righteous are in danger, they are protected by the merit of the three days that the Jews stood at Mount Sinai waiting to receive the Torah, and by the three days that Abraham traveled on his way to sacrifice Yitzhak. In each case, uh, a great act of righteousness was performed on the third day, and in its merit, God brings Yeshua, I mean, salvation, Whoa. To the righteous on the third day of their danger, God revealed this to Rahav and commanded her to tell it to the two spies. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So you just call the Yakida a resurrection because you know delivering the righteous taking no more than three days. So Yona being spit up from the the belly of the well, which was likened to death, and so you know, resurrection on the third day. Wasn't yeah. wasn't it? Wasn't it in there a source that says that Yitzhak was the one that uh, that said the uh, Mekaye Hametim? Yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's a uh, pure pearl K. Pure K de Rebbe Eliezer. Mm. Man. Hey, you started it, Hasiz. You, uh, we're just yeah, I'm just sure taking it there, though. What you're saying, because that's just <laughs> heavy. heavy. So, right here, is, as Shem says, you know, the righteous are in danger. They're protected the merit of the three days, and that the righteous will not be in danger more than three days. And so you have Yeshua it quotes Yonah here, and Yeshua says, you know, the only sign you'll get is the sign of Yonah. Ooh. And he, he mentions these three days and, you know, he's, he's he resurrected the third day. And so it, it testifies his righteousness and also the righteousness of his Talmudim, who would have been in this, this kind of very awkward, very threatening place. You know, they just see their, their Rebbe executed and they're hiding in secrets. And, and now they're just fearing for their lives. And then, there he is. Well, you know, one of the deeper meanings of the sign of Yonah would also be the sign of the dove, because Yonah is the word for dove. 
Wow. <laughs> so if you think about the instances of the dove being the allusion to the coming of Mashiach, you know, and how that's all connected because the Messiah is called a dove. That's true. And I believe there's also a name of Mashiach. <laughs> Come on. Oh, man. If you, if you want to go there since you took it there. Yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Let's wing it. 112. <laughs> wow. See, you did. So you're going with Yona for the name of Dove? Yes. All right. So it is the name of Mashiach. Oh, and while you're looking that up real quick, uh, I was doing a uh, crossover uh, check of the Hebrew for the garments that the woman and Mark with the issue of blood would have touched Yeshua. And it says among many of the Hebrew words that this Greek word is used for for garments is um, the same word that was used for Shem and Yafet. When they put a garment on their back, walked backwards into the tent of Noah and covered him. So I was just thinking about how Shem represents the Jews and Yafet represents the nations and how the Jews and the nations will be brought together through the one who will bring us rest, namely Mashiach. Wow. We know that Noah was a Mashiach ben Yosef and then his tent would have been called the tent of the righteous because he's considered righteous by Hashem. And so the nation's coming into the tent of the righteousness with a garment to cover up. Just think about that. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. And also in the, the Noah story, you also have this, this idea of the dove. Right. All right. And so the dove being named Mashiach says, from Eliyahu Rabbah 18. Well, I'll, mm, okay, I'll go a little, I'll go a little up more. It says, on one occasion, our master says, what is Elijah's origin? Some said from the seed of Rachel, others said the seed of Leah. Eliyahu came and stood before them and said to them, I am from the seed of Rachel. They said to him, you are not a priest. Do you not say to the widow, you are not a priest. Did you not say to the widow, make me a small cake? He said to them, that baby was Mashiach ben Yosef. And I gave the world a hint that first I go down to Babylon and afterwards Mashiach will come. Elihu Rabbah 18. And so it says, such interpretations led to the conclusion that it is known that Yonasam of Amatai is Mashiach ben Ephraim or Yosef. Bnei Yezikar, Tishri 10.28. And then it goes on to say, um, talking about Noah, says, for example, the Zohar sees the freshly plucked olive leaf in the dove's mouth in Bereshit 8.11 as a representation of King Mashiach. It's from the Zohar Shalak Lecha 165a. So not only was Mashiach saying, you know, you want a sign, but he's saying, according to the sources, when I tell you, think about the sign of Yonah, you also would be knowing that I'm proclaiming myself to be Mashiach. And that, 
And actually, the uh, the word for uh, Yona Ben Amatai is actually like the as a if you literally translate it, it literally would be the dove son of son of my truth of my truth. Wow. Because <laughs> we know truth is the wow. the seal of Hashem. So right. Right. And we know wow. the seal speaks of Yosef because he was the one who was given the king's seal. Oh, snap. I also know that the truth, what is, what is truth? Truth is Torah. Oh, right. It's like son of my Torah. They have this idea of the, the Torah being made flesh. Flesh is a slight allusion oh, to that. Yes, there's another correlation to that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So are we yeah. talking about Teferit here? Memtet? Is that what we're talking about? I'm talking about Yes, Ken, I think so Because <laughs> according to Zohar It says the Bob is called the son of God Which is also Teferit Teferit The central column in the Sephirot But you know, Hasis, you were on this track about um, the signs and the crimson thread and the zizis. Yeah, so this is the, the idea of the, the mountain, and, and we elucidated this three days. But then she comes on, there's the, the idea of the, the scarlet thread, what she allows them to escape by. And what her whole household, it's a sign by which her whole household is recognized by. And that in turn, it brings the spies, Caleb and Pincus, and her and her entire household, salvation. Yeah, I was just, I was just getting ready. To, I was just thinking about that. Like, based on her, what she did, like, her whole household merited salvation, you know? Salvation has come to this house. Mashiach yeah. talking to Zacchaeus. And this this linen thread, I think that's that's a heavy concept, you know, that y'all are bringing down right, about yeah. our entire household being saved. And I think it's no coincidence that this thread it's interpreted to be made of linen, which is the same same thing that the Kohen Gadol would have worn. Oh my goodness! And so here you have this another idea of it making atonement, oh. right? As it says in Isaiah 118, if your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Matt brought that down um, in the last last segment. But there's also another illusion here with this scarlet thread. And it, it's this idea of even though they looked at it and there's nothing appealing about it that would make them be drawn to it. Ooh. Right? It, but it's still... It still was was more than meets the eye. If I'm, you know, to quote Transformers, there. Oh. So, it says because it was thin as a string, but by miracle it became as strong as a rope, and they were able to lower themselves down on it. So its appearance was deceiving. It didn't seem to be, you know, as strong as it was. But it was the the whole spies. They were sustained by that thread. Wow. So, it goes in to say that the line, it's also called a line, which is Tav 
poof, vav, and hey. And if you actually use those same letters and different vowel pointers, you get the same word for hope. Because this line was a reminder that by trying, by tying it in the window, she can hope to be saved. So this line was her hope. And that's when it goes in quoting Isaiah 118, talking about the sins are scarlet, they'll become white as snow. Wow, man. And then it, it's a further blessing for her because it stands for the word, uh, the scarlet. Shin has the letter Shin, Nun, and Yud, which stands for Shmona, Navi'im, Yitzo, which is eight prophets came from her. Ooh, wow. She gave birth to eight prophets who are also priests Man. through Yehoshua. Man. So who's giving salvation to who? <laughs> That's a good question. So while you're on that, you said that what would draw us to this scarlet thread? It, it seemed to have nothing of impressiveness about it. And I couldn't help but think of Yeshua HaMashiach fitting Yeshiahu 53.2 saying that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. Yes, exactly. So Yeshua HaMashiach is a scarlet thread. Exactly. And then there's this, still this concept, this underlying concept that you brought down with the Zitzit of them leading you to your beloved. And like we, we also made a correlation in Shira Shira 2.9. But this scarlet thread, this is not the only time we hear about it in all of Tanakh. The scarlet thread and the exact phrase is also mentioned in Shira Shira, another Shira Shira 4.3. Uh-oh. And I'm just going to go ahead and uh, read from Mam Loez on here. And I'm going to machine gun a lot of these correlations he makes with the Scarlet Thread. All right, everybody get down. So here's Shira Shira 4.3. says, your lips are like a thread of scarlet. And the speech of your mouth is comely. Your temples are like a pomegranate split open from behind your veil. And so here it is. It's like the, he's comparing these lips to being a Scarlet Thread. And so there's another example of being drawn to them. There's this drawing taking place, like being drawn, being attracted. Mm. And then he, he goes and makes all these comparisons. The very first one says, your lips, are, your lips are prophets of Israel who admonished the people and warned of impending misfortune. Scarlet also is symbolic of danger and sin, which is what the prophets warned them about. Another example, the scarlet thread lips allude to the lips of the high priest when he stood in prayer before the Almighty on the Day of Atonement. Through prayer, he transformed the transgressions of his people into merits. If that year wow. the people had been crimson with sin, on that day they were cleansed white as the purest wool. The, the threat of Scarlet also perceived as alluding to the episode of the spies sent by Yehoshua, like in our half Torah. It is, they are praised for having promised Rahav that she and her family would be spared if she placed a scarlet ribbon in her window. It is also reckoned in their merit that their promise was kept. It says, Come near the lips that promise, then honor their promise. 
It is the way of the soldiers who risk their lives in battle to cast off all restraint in dealing with the defeated enemy. They pillage, destroy, and rape. How very different are those saintly warrior scouts of Israel. It is the way of spies to deceive their enemy and forget their promises. Instead, they have saved Rechav and her family. How praiseworthy. These, and then it goes on and talking about the lips of Moshe were like a scarlet thread. When he sang the song at the sea, which was a song of salvation, Hashem salvation. Mm. There's a few more references it gives, like a scarlet thread on Yom Kippur. A scarlet thread was tied to the scapegoat before it was cast down from the cliff. The other end of the thread was tied to the cliff. It, if it turned white, that was a sign that the sins of the people were forgiven. Within the interpretation, accordingly, uh, it talks about this, this allusion to the desert where the cliff was located. And we no longer have this. We no longer have this, this scar- scarlet thread to remind us that our sins are forgiven. And so our lips are now like the scarlet thread. The murmuring of your prayers is as dear to me as a scarlet thread. It's like Rabbi Abihu. So will we render for bullocks the offering of your lips, Hoshea 14.3. The uttering of our lips will be in the place of the bullock offerings in the place of the scapegoat. Good uh, a couple more. Avoiding slander and evil talk, the lips are like a thread of scarlet. They are pressed together as if tied by a thread of scarlet. So mm. here it is. Avoiding Lashon Hara is, is an example of the scarlet thread. So the combination or the condemnation of scarlet lips also alludes to the test of bitter waters administered to a suspected adulteress, i.e. the sota. If she was guilty, her lips turned green. If she was innocent, her, hip, her lips remained as red as a thread of scarlet. So these are the illusions that Manloez likens a scarlet thread to. Wow. And when I'm reading through these, I, I, I see, I don't know about y'all, but the patterns that stand out to me is it's all about connection and it's all about redemption, as in redeeming what once was. And this is what happened to Rahab, right? She had this thread that was once used for evil that was now redeemed to save these two Sadakim uh, of Israel. And so you're going through all the, the, the comparisons, you know, you have the, the lips, the scarlet lips being likened to avoiding Lashanara and it closing them. So you have the mouth connecting shut. Right, and you have this redemption taking place where once there was division spoken by these words, now in the silence there can be a repair made. Wow. Also, with the idea of the sota, right? She's she's connected with these these bitter waters, and she's redeemed. Her image is redeemed, and then she gets to connect with her husband once again. And the idea of Yom Kippur. And the priest atoning for them through prayer, this idea of even though their sins were scarlet, they now turn white as snow. And so they're now connected to their, their previous righteousness and innocence through this redemption act of transformation. Um, wow. And so there's, there's all these, all these comparisons. You have the words of prophets 
he connects, the prophet connects with the people. And in doing so, he turns them from the wicked ways back to following the path of Torah and walking out uh, a lifestyle that connects them to Hashem. Amen. So um, I want to, I agree, and I'm going to tag because <laughs> in Matthew 13, 36, Yeshua says this. But I tell you, on that day of judgment, men will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So just to add to the whole thing about the scarlet thread being the lips of our prayers. Oh, that's good. That's a good elucidation. Because you have... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, after you're finished, of course. No, go go ahead. Go ahead. That's go all. The, I, as he was saying that, I was like, oh, man, I got to bring this up. <laughs> no, Cassis, did you have more to say? No, I was, I was just commending him on the, on the elucidation. Did the whole idea that? of connecting and redeeming is still present in the words of Mashiach. By the way, uh, that was a just a straight onslaught of the Scarlet Thread. So just just want to say that. Yes, if people did not duck, they are now down. That was terrible. Okay, so my tag is I commend you as well, Ish Pela and uh, Hasis. You need to get some help. But um, Mishle eleven twenty three has the same word that's used in Yehoshua 2.18 for the scarlet thread. And this word is translated, as you have already mentioned, hope. But in Mishle, it's talking about the hope of the righteous because there's this yearning. So this hope is translated as yearning. And it says in Mishle 11.23 that the yearning of the righteous is only for good, Righteous people yearn to do good and to be rewarded with good. According to Mezudot, they say, of all desires, the righteous choose only to do good and forsake all other desires. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about true shuva means there is no place for you to return. Mm. And as in where you have come from, you don't go back there. It's like it doesn't exist anymore. And in the concept of leaving Mitzrayim, like Hashem so extracted all of the holy sparks from Mitzrayim, it's as if there was nothing left for Mitzrayim. You know, like it did, it couldn't stand anymore. You know, well, you know, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, it's, it seems like that's what this parashat, this week's parashat, was about. It was like. They kept saying, oh, it was better for us in Mitzrayim. It was better for us in Mitzrayim. It's like, okay, it was better for you than Mitzrayim. Do you think I led you out in the wilderness to die? Well, then so be it, you know? Wow. Because uh, there's kinda, nowhere else to go. Yeah. So, I mean. Oh, you know what I'm thinking now. Mashiach says, will you leave me too? And Kepha says, where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. Oh. Those words of life would be the lips of Mashiach, which are scarlet threads. Wow. 
And he's the, the prophet likened to Moshe, and Moshe's lips were like a scarlet thread. Oh, and, uh, man, I, I love what you say about Teshuva is, is going forth with no turning back. That's right. And I'd, I'd like to bring up the question is, what if you're, um, you know, what if you're the wicked who tries to pu- push out forth? Or maybe not necessarily the wicked, but may- maybe you're trying to, to push out forth. And is, will Hashem allow the righteous to come on, on top or come out forth? What, what and, do you mean? So I believe, like, so if the wicked were to come out first, would there right. be a turn? Would they turn around? Hmm. Well, and I think, I well, think you, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, the commentary continues talking about the yearnings of the wicked because it says that the wicked also yearn for their desires to be granted. But... There's a big old but there. Since they do evil, they will be rewarded in kind, Radak. And so the thing about that, about your question, is I would just have to really say, you know, what's really in the heart of the wicked who come out first? Could it be a desire to push back uh to push back Mashiach. Ooh, that don't work and out. <laughs> the reason I'm saying this is when you, you mentioned the whole idea is that the, the righteous don't turn back, mm. you know, that they, they, come, they come out and they keep going forth. It also reminded me of the story where the scarlet thread is first being used. Oh, snap. Which is Brashit 38. And I'm going to go ahead and start, for the sake of understanding the, the backstory, at 3827. It says, it happened, and these are, this is the, the twins who are being born to Tamar from Yehuda and Tamar's relationship. And it's, it's kind of interesting because we had this idea of, you know, Yehuda going to a prostitute who he thinks is a prostitute was a Tamar. And you have these spies coming in and going to the house of a prostitute. And what's born from that is what comes out is the lineage of Mashiach. And we know Rechav is in the lineage of Mashiach. And so continuing on, says, It happened in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were born in her womb. It happened when she travailed that one put out a hand. And the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This came out first. It happened as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out, and she said, Why have you made a breach for yourself? Therefore his name was Peretz. And afterward his brother came out that had the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was called Zarach. And so this is kind of where I'm alluding to, not that Zarach is um, evil, Shalom, but... He, he tries to push back uh, ahead. He, he punches forth the head of Peretz. And this is the first time the scarlet thread is used. It's tied around the hand of Zarah. And the reason I bring this up is Peretz is actually the name of Mashiach. Ken, as well. Know, we say that in the, uh, the Lekadodi, 
we'd say talking about from the to the man descended from Peretz for the uh, Shabbat bracha. Oh wow, that's true. Really quickly, that's awesome. if I could share that before. You yeah, I love for it. Uh, it's in the Arab Shabbat section. Uh, in the Kabbalat Shabbat, and we say Lekadodi Likrat Kalah Pene Shabbat Ne Kabbalah. And in the midst of all that, we say, This is in my Sidur on page 319, and it says, uh, All right, right here, it says, Rightward and leftward. You shall spread out mightily, and you shall extol the might of Hashem through the man descended from Peretz. Hmm. Wow, you shall restore the might of Hashem through the man descended from Peretz. Ken. Wow. And so you have this idea of what is Hashem's might. And in the Amidah, we pray three times daily that the might of Hashem relates to the resurrection, oh. his resurrection power to raise the dead. That is his might because there's many strong men who could lift many heavy things, but there's no man who could raise, who can lift the weight of the dead to life. Oh, my word. And so I want to tag, I want to hold tab on that. Not tag. I want to tab that. Tab. That's a new tab. It. tab. I'm tabbing <laughs> to come back to that and <laughs> continue reading the Peretz at being the name of Mashiach. It says, how do you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Peretz. In this translation, this breach be upon you, it actually sounds like an accusation. In Hebrew, the Hebrew actually renders it as an ex- expression of wonder. And maybe it could be better phrased, how did you manage to break through? It says this, this seemingly mistaken identity of the firstborn is understood as preordained and highly significant. And Agadat Rashid 64 brings this down, says Zarak was asking to come out first. God said, Mashiach comes out of Peretz, yet Zarak is coming out first. Let him go back into his mother's belly. So Peretz came up first since Mashiach is from it, from him, as it says. Then it happened as he drew back his hand, Peretz, this is Mashiach, since it says the one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Micah 2.13, I got that Rashid 64. And another Midrash actually confirmed this, confirms the idea of Peretz being Mashiach. Says, out of his own brethren will rise the breaker who passes before them. This is King Mashiach. That's Midrash Sekel Tov, Rashid 38. Which brings us to uh, something about Peretz from Shemot Rabbah 33. Says, whenever the word toldot, generations or products appear in scripture, its spelling is incomplete meaning one or two vobs is missing, with two exceptions. Rashid 2.4, these are the products of, products of heaven and earth, 
and root for 18. These are the generations of Peretz. The product of heaven and earth is complete because HaKadosh Baruch Hu had just created his world and there was no angel of death in it. When Peretz arose, his generations were complete because from him will issue Mashiach in whose days HaKadosh Baruch Hu will swallow up death. And wow. what's interesting there, the whole Toldot generations, it's being the generations are being restored by these vavs, right? It mentions those are the only two instances. And we just compared this scarlet thread. Everything that the scarlet thread is likened to has to do with connecting and it has to do with taking something and, and redeeming it. Taking something that once was in, in a, a state of, of darkness, fear, sin, and redeeming it into something good and to bring about a closer connection to Hashem. And that's what the underlying connection is with the scarlet thread. And I find it interesting that it mentions the vav, the, these vavs that get restored within toldot, within the word toldot, the generations, because vav is the, the Hebrew letter which connects, like the scarlet thread, words to each other, because the prefix meaning and, and it also has this idea of redemption in the, same, in the sense of repentance. Because if you, the, the Vav can change uh, uh, something that's in future tense to past tense and something that's in past tense to future tense. And so uh, the, the sages, the rabbis have interpreted this to mean that it's like this, this letter of repentance. Wow. This letter of repentance and this letter of connection. And so this is what's being restored into the generations. Wow. And so going back to the tab, going back to the tab about the might of Hashem that you mentioned in uh, the, the Shabbat prayers, the might of Hashem is in his power to revive the dead. And why was this, why was these vavs? complete in this word why was tadult full spelled in full meaning the both the vavs were there because it says in whose day hakadosh broke who will swallow up death how will he swallow up death death by reviving us in the end days when mashiach wow. comes <laughs> and so right here you have mashiach the allusion to mashiach reviving the dead and Thus, the generations will be restored back to how it was at the very beginning when it says these are the products of heaven and earth. Mm. Wow. Man. You know, so I was just doing a, a flyby while you were talking about the vibes and checking about the connections. For some reason, I just have to bring it up. It's kind of interesting and kind of awkward at the same time but first corinthians six fifteen talks about joining talks about a prostitute and it talks about mashiach and it talks about our own bodies and it says so as i'm saying this let's try to go up beyond the pashat of this because obviously there's the face value but you know, let's take it up a notch as we're looking at this because we're thinking about the vibe, we're thinking about the connection, we're thinking about teshuva, and we're thinking about this connection with the scarlet thread and prostitute. 
Okay. So it says in First Corinthians six fifteen, do you not know that your bodies are members of Mashiach himself? There's your vav. Okay, and there's two vobs right there because your body is a vob. The vob represents a man, which is right. his body. And then you have that our bodies are members of Mashiach. So as a vob, we're connected to Mashiach. Like, so it's body to body and it, it's a vob. Okay, so this is a told out right there. And then we have the next statement that says, shall I then take the members of Mashiach and unite them with a prostitute? Never. We know that that word for prostitute is zona, which is actually used in the pasuk about looking at the zitzit. And how we're not to stray after our own eyes and our hearts or our minds after which we go astray. And so I'm not really sure exactly why I wanted to mention that because I'm just thinking like if you really look at this verse, we have the elements of teshuva that once we're looking upon Mashiach, that we really don't turn or desire anything else apart from him. And that would be through the scarlet thread, which is likened to the zitzit, because as the scarlet thread was hanging down and brought salvation, so when we look down upon our zitzit, we're really looking up. Because these zitzit are likened to the lattices that our beloved peers through to look at us and so through the zitzit we're looking at him and turning away from prostitution turning away from idolatry you know and so that's really connecting us back to him so it's really the eyes it's the power of Hashem at work in us when we submit ourselves to that wow I I really like this this connection that you're bringing uh, from the the letters of Rabbi Shaw. And as I'm as I'm reading through here, he mentions it's like he's warning, do not join the prostitute. Do not join the prostitute. Right? Right. And he, he goes down, if you keep reading, he, he repeats it, do not one who is joined to a prostitute. Uh and make them members of a prostitute, may it never be. And it goes and talking about, but he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit. And then it goes and flee sexual immorality. So there's this concept of that you once were in this sexual immorality and now you're fleeing from it. Or maybe you're just put in a situation and now you're fleeing from it. And I can't. Exactly. And the the reference that I was I was thinking about this is the reference that you had in the story where he meets this, uh, the prostitute, he flees from her. And then eventually in the story, or maybe it's a, a similar story that I'm remembering, but eventually they, they do get married, right? Same tractate, Minicote 44A. All right. <laughs> it's, it's source. And yes. so also I'm thinking about this half tour Porsche. And because you have Rahab, who's a prostitute or who was a prostitute, and then you have her end up marrying Yehoshua, who's the, the leader of, of Israel at this time. And so 
at first glance, this seems to contradict it. But if you if you read Shaw's writings, he says he says, "Do not join to a prostitute. Do not join to a prostitute." Right? He he didn't say anything about the prostitute fleeing from her ways and becoming joined to the people. Right. So at first glance, it seems to be con- contradictory, but and under further investigation, there's actually it's actually the prostitute coming from this, her turning back from her ways and being joined into into Israel, and also maybe on a a, a deeper level, more on an allegorical level, if you will, um, you have uh, Hashem and the prophet Jeremiah liking to Israel as a harlot. The whole story of Hosea. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Oh, Hosea, excuse me, Hosea. Oh man. Um, but yeah, you have you have that whole story there, and wow, he says turn back to her, and you know, there's I remember reading there's some interesting dialogue where uh, Hosea says you should just exchange Israel for another nation, Ooh. and so Hashem responds, he tells him to go marry a prostitute. And have kids by her, and and what ends up happening, he does that, and then years later, Hashem comes back, says, "Now divorce her." He says, "I can't. I have children by her," and Hashem just kind of tells him, "Well, you know, how does it, how did, how does it feel? You know, don't don't tell me to divorce Israel. You know, I'm married to her. I I've have children by her. I'm not going to exchange her for any other nation. And whether you want to interpret the story as as literal or as uh, figurative it doesn't really matter the picture is there the concept's there and so you have this idea of fleeing from sexual immorality and coming back into hashim wow you know like it was that 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 makes me think about how it says that a moabite shall not enter the assembly of israel but it doesn't say moabitess Namely, because that's where Ruth enters into covenant and gives birth to Mashiach, as far as lineage goes. And so, as you're kind of looking at this overarching principle that says, well, no Moabite can come in. It didn't say anything about a Moabitess coming in. Just like it says, don't join yourself to a prostitute. But it didn't say a prostitute couldn't join herself to Mashiach, which we know that upon... (laughs) which we know that wow. upon doing that, she would be purified. If we really need an example, let's look at Mary Magdalene, which would be Miriam. You know, and she was considered to have like all these demonic spirits in her just to be such a, a just dirty, for lack of a better terms, woman. And she was one of Mashiach's closest Talmudim. You know, like one of his closest followers she was like one of the ones to go to his tomb on Yom Rishon right after Shabbat you know and so for a woman of that stature to be brought so close to Mashiach I mean we can see those elements just throughout you know really the scriptures if I can tag uh, as well I agree with both of you guys both both of you bring interesting points and I, I think 
what Shaul is is trying to elucidate here is is basically, you know, in the Hebrew or even in the English, if you just hear the words adultery and, and idolatry, they sound the same because they're related. Uh, and so he's really speaking about, okay, he's like, you have to attach yourself. You have to cleave to Hashem. That is what Mashiach's goal was, was to redeem us so that we would, we, we would cleave to Hashem and, and his teaching, you know? Wow. And, uh, I just think it's that's I think that's what he's trying to illustrate here is like don't 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 say you claim a Shiach and and submit yourself to idolatry but submit yourself to the ways of Hashem. Cleave and attach yourselves to Hashem through the union of the Ruach HaKodesh. Wow. I mean and uh, part of cleaving to Hashem, like you're saying, is about cleaving to Hashem, part of cleaving to Hashem is to accept the oral Torah, which connecting back to a Matt's point about comparing to a Moabite, it's through the oral Torah that the Moabitess is allowed to come in. Uh-huh. And I, I just can't help but thinking that it was, it was the Moabite women who later on in, in, in Bamdibar actually seduce Israel. Mm-hmm. And so you have this, this allusion to Moabite being a prostitute, these Moabite women being a prostitute, and now they're coming in, and so you have this idea of, of you know, Ruth being a legitimate ancestor of David. Wow. Okay. And so there could be illusion that Shaul's getting, uh, getting to as far as that goes. Man. Okay, so you said that through the oral Torah, we're cleaving to Hashem, right? Right. So um, there's this whole thing, and I'm uh, trying to look for my note here about it, but the oral Torah is called Zafanat Panea. What? Yes. Like, Yosef? Yes. Because without the oh, Brukashem, I found it. Okay, so without the oral Torah, one cannot attach and cleave himself to Hashem. So, if you ask me, <laughs> am I agreeing with you? I am Hussies. I am agreeing with you with oh both of my inclinations right now. Okay, so this comes from a gentleman distinguished. That I like to call Show Nuff Pankis. Now, he releases a weekly commentary on the Parsha. So, to anyone who hasn't gotten to read him, y'all need to get you some. But let's just go back to, I don't know, Parsha Shemot. And during this Parsha, he's talking about on page four of his commentary. He says that Paro named Yosef Zaphonat Paneach. And it says, Rashi provides the following clarification. This is the decipherer of the cryptic. And it says, since the Torah, the oral Torah, deciphers and reveals all the mysteries of the written Torah. So Yosef was called the decipherer of the cryptic. 
And then it says, hence, we can suggest that Rashi is alluding to the fact that the oral Torah explains all of the things for which we cannot find an explanation for or similarity to elsewhere in the written Torah. And in the merit of the oral Torah, Yisrael stands apart from all other nations. Yes, and I mean. And that's the thing because, you know, it was like, what makes Yisrael so distinguished? How are we considered to be the chosen people of Hashem? Was well, because we're attached to Hashem through the oral Torah. And anyone can get a hold of the written Torah. But at the end of the day, without the oratory, you don't really have a true connection because there are so many cryptic things that are there. And so he goes on to say, HaKadosh Baruchu only entered into covenant with Yisrael on account of the oral Torah, Shemot 34, 27. For according to these words, have I entered into covenant with you and with Yisrael. I have separated you from among the nations to be mine. If you are separated from them, then you are mine. But if not, then you belong to Nebuchadnezzar and his colleagues. So. Tag. And I agree. So. I'm reading, I'm reading Shaul's letter uh, through the. What is this? The OJB. Mm-hmm. And so it has a. He ends chapter six saying, for the redemption of you from sin was purchased with a price. Therefore, bring honor to Hashem with your body. And it has a drop saying that this is actually from Tehillim 74.2. Oh, wow. So this is out of the green book, which says, uh, Remember your your congregation, which you acquired long ago when you redeemed them from Mitzrayim and brought them to Zion. Just as you acquired them from Egypt, so you will acquire them from this exile. That's Radach, speaking the same thing that Shaul seems to be mentioning right here in this very verse, or this, this very chapter. And just to add to what you were saying about uh Israel accepting upon themselves the the validity and divinity of the oral Torah that the, that this is something that proceeded from from Hashem's mouth to Moshe's mouth and then you know transmitted to the seventy elders to Yehoshua and now it's recorded in you know and we we have it still today. Yes. Oh, says, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Six things. It says six things stated the oh, the creation. Go ahead and finish up. I do want to tag in. Okay, so this is this is talking about primordial beings in relation to this verse. What? It says six beings preceded the creation of world of the world. Some of them were created before the world was created, and some arose and God stopped to be created. The Torah and the throne of glory were created before the world was created. The patriarchs, the Jewish people, the holy temple, and the name of Mashiach arose and God stopped prior to creation. Some also say the repentance also preceded the creation of the world. The Midrash cites various verses to demonstrate the above, citing our present verse regarding the Jewish people. Remember your congregation, which you acquired long ago. Furthermore, the thought to create the Jewish people preceded all else. And I would add, why? Because they were going to accept or 
uh, i.e., what you elucidated earlier, Mashiach ben Yosef, which is Zafanach. Paneach. Yeah, Paneach. Wow. Chassis? Wow. And I, I was I was just thinking, just being really taken aback by these these drops that y'all are putting out there, and my my mind just there's so many things flashing and and connections being made here. But I'm just gonna just pin one of them for the sake of time, and the idea of you you mentioned it being like Zephaniah because it expounds on things that we wouldn't know um, otherwise, wow. and. One of those things, it comes back to the Zitzit, oh, right? Because wow. it says it says to make Zitzit, but it doesn't say, okay, well, what are they? How many coils do I make? And we mentioned it's also the oral Torah is also the way of cleaving to a shim, and so there's this interesting, yes, there's this interesting custom, and it, of course we mentioned. The Zitzi have, have allusions to Shir Ashir and being attracted to Hashem and being his beloved. And, and it's how he's, he's looking and focuses gaze to draw you closer to him. But there's this custom. If you look down your Zitzi and you count the coils in each of the, um, in, in each Zitzitz. You're, you're not about to do this. Yeah. Well, it says there's seven coils. There's a general custom to have seven coils along the first space, eight coils along the second, 11 along the third, and 13 along the fourth. Altogether, they make a total of 39, which is the numerical equivalent. It's the gematria of Hashem Echad. Hashem is one. Wow. And so... There's also there's also a custom if you're ever reading through your door when we're doing the Shema, there's a custom to when it says bring you in from the four corners of the earth and lead us with upright pride to our uh, to our land. There's a custom to grab the zitzit and put them in your fingers and hold them there throughout the entire Shema, and then later when we get into the blessing of the zitzit themselves. You hold them in both hands, and every time the word zitzi is mentioned, you kiss them like my beloved, right? And so what are you doing? You're connecting with the oneness of a shim because of these, these chords. There's 39 chords altogether in between these knots. So, Tag, that is my agreement with the 39s and the connection because how many lashes did Mashiach receive for our transgressions? 40 minus one, I might add. And if you really go to the parsha that speaks about the lashes, the lashes are used as a form of restoring a brother. Oh my goodness. You did not just say that, really. Tag. Whenever you're done, tag. Go. I got to tag. Go I got to tag. Y'all go. Just go. No, keep going. Keep going, Nimet. You need to finish your thought. I need to finish my thought. Are you, just, are you done? I, I'm done. I mean, I was oh, really? going to source it out, but, you know, I think y'all can take it from here.
Okay. Well, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I love that you, you said, how many lashes did Mashiach get? Mm. And um, I, would, I, would, I would add that he got one for all the extra years that um, Am Israel was in the desert extra. Because they had to be in the desert 39 extra years. And you mentioned it as, why was it 39? Well, first of all, it was an act of mercy so that you wouldn't go over the prescribed limit of lashes. And then that's where I was going. And then you said something that was really astounding. You said it was to redeem your brother. Right? And we look at what happened. We look at what happened with the incident of the spies and the consequences that followed after. And we say, okay, well, that's an act of cruelty. Mm. In reality, it was an act of mercy. And it was an act just like the 39 lashes were to redeem a brother. The 39 years was there to redeem the land. Because there's this midrash. There's this midrash that as soon as the Canaanites heard that the Israelites, that we had just left Mitzrayim, and then we're pressing forth to take what was rightfully our forefathers, what we inherited, and, and to, to claim it back from these stewards that were the Canaanites. Because it wasn't their land. It was never their land. That's right. It was on when land. They heard, when they yeah. heard this, do you know what they did? What they do? They burnt the entire land, all their crops, everything. Really? They and so Hashem allowing them to wonder for an extra 39 years was his mercy. It wasn't his cruelty. It wasn't just a punishment. It was an act of mercy so that he could restore the land to how beautiful and how wonderful and how fruitful it was before so that when we entered the land, they would have something to work with, something to build on. Wow. Ish Pela, you had a tag like a while ago. <laughs> But it, it's just wow. <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna add to the uh, the redeeming aspect of your brother. So this says this 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 uh, is out of the Green Book 108A. It says overriding the river. It says a decision a decision reached by a Jewish court of law according to Torah principles can dictate what occurs in nature and can even reverse natural processes. God concurs with the decisions of the court of law and alters nature accordingly. Wow. In similar vein, the fulfillment of Torah mitzvot can also override nature. For example, Rabbi Pincus bin Yair was once traveling to redeem a captive. When he came across an impassable river, he demanded, River, split your waters for me and allow me to pass. The river responded, You endeavor to fulfill your master's decree to redeem your fellow, and I also must obey my master and his laws of nature that the rivers flow to the sea. Rabbi Pincus retorted, Either you split for me or I decree that your waters evaporate and never again flow. The river relented and parted. In 7A, and also Rashi. Wow. What? <laughs> wow. 
It also adds, it says, uh, Rabbi Pincus Binyar's attitude teaches us that if we focus absolutely on the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot, the natural world will bend to our mission and nature will succumb to the will of God. <laughs> what is happening right now? Can, so, can if, and so I'm just going to add, like, if, if, you know, with much respect to this rabbi of blessed memory of Rabbi Pinkus ben Yair, how much more so for Mashiach ben Yosef, who, you know, took on the 39 lashes to redeem Israel, or the lost sheep of Israel, furthermore. Hasis, were you going to say something? No, I was, just, I was just thinking about what I was going to ask. I don't, I don't know. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so, I was just – oh, go ahead. Okay, I, I guess I do got one thing. Since you mentioned Yehoshua and, and Yeshua and just the idea of how – he took it upon himself to take these lashes to redeem us. Right. And I can't, I can't help but think of the parallel here to Yehoshua, who took it upon himself to send these spies out in order to redeem any converts that were there, any people who were in this dark place of the land of Canaan who needed to be redeemed from that. Wow. And... While we're here, while we're here in this idea, I'd like to point out that Yehoshua is actually a name of Mashiach. Oh my God. If you haven't got tired of me saying that yet. <laughs> Man, I ha- no, you know what, dude? I actually love it. I actually really love it. I ain't never going to get tired of that. <laughs> and they say never say never. Trust that. Know that. Believe that. I love that. Got All right, that. so. So since we since we have a uh, unanimous vote here, I'll I'll go ahead and read. Unanimous vote. <laughs> so it says Hagra's scheme of redemption is based upon the concept of two Mashiachs. Yosef. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So right there, there's our foundation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> foundation, really? Foundation. Uh, no. <laughs> can you say it again? So there's two Mashiachs. Hagar's scheme of redemption is based upon the concept of two Mashiachs. Cool. Yosef is revealed as the earth Mashiach and David as the heavenly Mashiach. And Hagar sees the mission of Yosef as revealing the secrets of Torah, gathering the exiles, and cleansing the land from the spirit of defilement. Gathering the exiles has three aspects to it. Building Jerusalem, continuous and gathering, and also living according to those commandments relevant only to life in the land. He goes on to talk about Yosef and David are two distinct manifestations of the same person. Oh, my goodness. And he says there's many different uh, names for Yosef. He's a multifaceted figure. And Hagar gives him names like Ephraim, Zephanapanea, as we mentioned uh, uh, earlier. Neriah, uh, Neriah, and and so on, and they shed light on these different different angles of his mission. And it says Yehoshua 
illuminates Mashiach as a warrior, like the historical Yehoshua, whose mission, mission was to conquer the land, the Messianic figure called Yehoshua is going to bring complete uh, completion to what Yehoshua started. And I might add that when uh, they were fighting, when they're fighting Amalek, that Yehoshua had, uh, Moshe saw that he was on a very high level, and it compares him to Anar, and it says he saw Mimtet. He saw Mentet above Yehoshua, and he said he saw that the 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 Samach Mem cursed be he was with Amalek, and so he sent Yehoshua. That's the reason he chose Yehoshua to go fight Amalek because of that. Yeah, and, you, would, you would actually think that he would send Nakshon or, or somebody from Yehuda, you know? Yeah, they're they're mightier, they're possibly mightier warriors than Yehoshua, but he sent him because it was at a very high level. It refers to him as a Nar. And it says Mimtet was with him to, to wage war. Wow. And just a little side note, side note there to get a kind of a, a, a broader spectrum of him as a warrior and what all that entails. And it continues on. Kolator says, Yehoshua is descendants, is from the descendants of Ephraim, Ben Yosef, and he is one who wages war against Amalek. And it goes on to say about the failure of King Saul. And how this the failure of defeating Amalek still haunts us to this day, and that it will continue to haunt them until Mashiach deals with Amalek decisively. And continuing on, says the war Yehoshua wages against Amalek happens on three planes: Amalek of the heart, which is the evil inclination and evil qualities; spiritual Amalek, which is. Uh, Satan, cursed be he. This is physical Amalek, represented by the descendants of Esau, Esau, Ishmael, and the mixed multitude. It is against this Amalek, which Israel is neither able to nor willing to destroy, that Yehoshua has to fight if salvation is to come. And it gets even more interesting. It says, Haggai concludes... That it, first of all, it quotes uh, Isaiah 52 7 says, Therefore, on the basis of how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who proclaims Yeshua salvation, Hagra concludes that every use, every use of the word salvation, Yeshua, that's Yud Vav Shin Ayin, is a messianic, is in a messianic context, is within the mission of Yehoshua ben Nun. Wow. So, for example, it says, and it is the time of Yaakov's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jeremiah 37, it speaks about Yehoshua, who advances from trouble to salvation, from distress to a broad place. Psalms 118.5. And from weeping to rejoicing. Psalms 126.6. Kol Hator 144. And it goes on talking about the weight. That Hagra puts on the word to be saved, Yud Vav Shin Ayan, Yeshua. It's the same letters as we pointed out as Yeshua, like as a Mashiach Yeshua, Yud Shin Vav Ayan. And there's a precedent for this in scripture linking Yehoshua and Yeshua. Not only are they linguistically similar, but also in Nehemiah 8 7, Yehoshua's name, Yehoshua's name is spelt without the hay. And so it says, 
that Yehoshua is defective spelling instead of Yehoshua, it's Yeshua. It points to Yehoshua's failure to eradicate the evil inclination from the land, B'nai Ezekar Nisan 4.13. But Hagra actually insists that Yehoshua will actually succeed in his mission. That's from Kol Hator 2, paragraph 47, 62, and 81. Man. So even though he fails at eliminating the evil inclination at the very beginning, Hagra is very adamant that he will succeed in this mission. But there's this idea that there's a time of trouble and distress that comes before the actual full redemption. Right now, Mashiach Yeshua, when he came, he just subjugated the root. And when he comes back, it's going to be done away all together. Like we, we mentioned with Shimshon, that salvation, in the words of our sages, salvation is a, is a process, right? It's like the, the dawn. Man, you know, so I'm just like blown away by just all this right now. Like, uh, for one thing, with the with the lashes, I'm looking at some commentary here on Devarim 25 because that's where we see the lashes, and. Um, I believe there are olive tops here. Yes, there are olive tops in Devarim 25, verse 1. So let me um, go there real quick. Because Matthew 27, 26 is where we see Yeshua being lashed. And then in Devarim 25, 1... We see here, so if there be a controversy, if there be a controversy, like a little bit of controversy on the day of Mashiach's death, just a little bit, and then it says, between men and they come into judgment, the judges may judge them and it shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So, justifying the righteous is Aleph Tav Hazarikin. Condemning the wicked is Aleph Tav Harasha. So, we see here that the Aleph Tav is connected to the righteous one, but also connected to the wicked one. Because he who knew no sin became sin. So, it was if he was wicked, even though he was still righteous. Then it says that the word is hakot, which is, by the way, tractate makot is uh, where we see all the talking about lashes because makot is the word for lashes. And in tractate makot, uh, I feel like it's like 49 or 39, so don't quote me on that. But in that tractate, it says that the way you do a lashing like a flog flogging as mentioned here is in the whipping motion that the blood is applied to the mercy seat in the holy of holies on Yom Kippur yes wow so the lashes are definitely a purification act and in the Jewish wisdom and the numbers it says that um 
the person does not receive a 40th additional lash because it corresponds to the pristine spiritual part of man unsullied by sin so if you think about like even in the wickedness you know there's still that one little part you know that spark of Hashem that's still there that you're not to touch because that's what you're trying to draw out so with these lashes it's like breaking open a clipot and so and then it goes on to say here uh, in truth the means by which a Jew can rise above the mundane driven level of 39 requires that he be in tune with his innermost sanctified um, spiritual makeup and then on top of that um, I was listening today what was I listening to it was something talking about the zitzit and it was saying the reason why there are 39 coils on the zitzit is because the zitzit coils correlate to the or coilate I should say to the 39 labors of Shabbat that we're not to partake in and so by looking at our zitzit we're also uh, basically refraining from sin by remembering not to do the 39 labors on Shabbat and so Shabbat being an atonement for us so much to say that it is as if we have completely denied idolatry when we partake of the Shabbat and so we're looking at the lashes we're looking at the zitzit we're looking at the purification process like it's all connected to this this 39 well that that would make a lot of sense uh with the the 39 I I completely agree because that makes a lot of sense with the the 39 coils and the 39 labors on Shabbat because juxtapose next to the the one in in this parsha juxtapose to the person who's gathering sticks is yep. the commandment of zitzit and in in midrash you know Moshe and Hashem are having this dialogue and Hashem is is really angry hey look they're defiling my my Shabbat you know, this is supposed to be a gift for me to them. You know, and essentially Moshe is, is pleading on our behalf as 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 usual. And he says it's it's not that they're they're angry, it's not that they're being rebellious to Hashem. It's that they are just forgetful. See, every other day of the week we have the mitzvah to fill in where we're constantly reminded of what we're supposed to do for you, but on Shabbat. We don't, we don't wear tefillin. And so Hashem gives them the mitzvah of zitzit that we could wear all the time, every day of the week, so that there will always be a reminder. And specifically so that it will be a reminder for Shabbat. And like, I think it fits in perfectly with the 39 labors and the 39 coils. And I just remembered my uh, source on that. It's showing up pinkish for this oh. week. Well, there you go. He was doing this whole thing about how um, there the person, and it's like trying to uh, say that you know we don't want to promote Lashon Hara by mentioning the person's name who was the one who was gathering on Shabbat, but it's codified that it's Zolified that does this, 
And Zolified is the one that we find out that his daughters come to Moshe later in Bami Bar saying, you know, what do we do since our father has no sons for the inherited portions of the land? Like, we don't want our father's name to be forgotten. So, in this whole thing he's going through, he's talking about how there's a beautiful tacoon because of the zitzit. And again, with the zitzit being tacoon and the whole 39, it's all about restoring your brother. So, at the, I want to go to the end here of his commentary this week. I got a, I got a tag on the zitzit. This is so powerful. Brukashem, I will uh, say this and then feel free to tag away. So it talks about, it says that um, Zolophad was put to death for his act of self-sacrifice. So the reason why Zolophad was the one who broke the Shabbat, who committed sin uh, by, by saying that, you know, because I mean, the common rumor was that since we're not going to go into the land, that means that the Torah is null and void because we're still out here in the wilderness and we're in the middle of all this miraculousness. It's like, no, no, no. Don't think that I've come to abolish the Torah because I said you can't go into the land. But it says that he did this so that his death would bring forth the realization and the recognition of Hashem's Torah being valid. And then it goes on to say that he used his feet to leave his tent to go desecrate the Shabbat. He stained and disgraced his feet and his hands. And Mashiach, his hands and his feet, you know, they were pierced. And then it says that the conclusion of this all is that uh, Targum Yonatan is saying that the Torah's directive is associated with the mitzvah of Zitzit. You shall be like holy Malachim attending to Hashem. For in the merit of the Techelet of the Zitzit that brings to mind, again, there's that phrase, brings to mind, help us remember. Mm. The Kisei HaKavod, the throne of glory, we, we will merit to ri- rising to the level of heavenly Malachim who serve Hakadosh Baruch Hu by transporting his throne of glory. Um, and so by, by all of the tikkun and all of the atonement, the salvation being brought with a price, being joined to Hashem, it's as if we have elevated to the level of the, the four chayot that surround the throne of Hashem, so much so that Upon us donning zitzit on our bodies, it's as if we're transporting the throne of Hashem throughout the earth. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So that that make our bodies like the temple. <laughs> and that, that's exactly what that means. Incredible. Well, uh, Agree with that 100%. That is beautiful. So, I am reading this out of the Techelim, my favorite source. 
This is 180A. This is uh, Tehillim 90, verse 16. It says, Your splendor be upon their children. Since God's splendor in this verse alludes to Zitzi. When the Jewish people cover themselves with Zitzi, let them not think that they are wearing mere wool. Rather, they should look upon their Zitzi as if the splendor of the divine presence were upon them. This is why the Torah, in referring to Zitzi, does not state, and you shall see them, but rather that you shall see him, alluding to the Holy One. Blessed is he. Midrash Tehillim in Numbers fifteen thirty nine. And if I remember correctly, we say it every every morning. It, it's the Aleph Tav. You know, yes. with the vav, it's the olive tav with the vav, exactly. And so um, it says, and you shall see it. It's talking about the tachelit, the tachelit. You shall see it, right? The kisei, the throne of of Hashem, the, this 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 tachelit. You shall see, you shall see him. After after your heart and after your eyes, going back to you know. The, the prostitute of, of our Haftorah, you know, the, this this whole idea of, you know, not not straying, not going. How do you how do you not stray and how do you not go? You you focus on Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you know, it's the the King who constitutes by his tachelit through his throne. He constitutes the Torah from his throne. You know, it's uh wow, it's just just amazing. You know, so. Corresponding what you just said, like the Zitzi, you don't say you'll look at them, but you'll look at him. Right? The Zitzi were also given as command, right? Because so that they wouldn't follow after the ways. It, it was a command regarding the guy who was gathering sticks. Right? So that, that means there's this allusion to the one gathering sticks um, being. Hashem. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you did not just go there. Oh, Going back with what Amet was saying about his death was there for a sanctification of Hashem's name. Right? But, but he had to die first. And in his death, what happened afterwards, he had to look like someone who did not, who completely forsook the five books of Moshe, the Torah. Right. So one Torah, five books. This corresponds with one letter with a gematria of five, which is hey. Hey. And this, this reminds me of Yushlami Shavit. 6.1, connecting back with our half Torah, says, Since the days of Yeshua, son of Nun, Nehemiah 8.17, Scripture diminished the honor of the righteous Yehoshua in his grave. He diminished the honor of the righteous Yehoshua in his grave by omitting the letter Hey from his name. Like the, like the guy gathering sticks who like forsook, acted like he forsook the five books, right? The letter Hey. From his name, there, there I making his name Yudshin Vav Ayin Yeshua, 
rather than Yud Hey Vav Shin Ayin Yehoshua, because of the honor of the righteous Ezra. For in Ezra's time, Ezra abolished. He prayed to abolish and did abolish the evil inclination to worship idols, right? Which we talked about. That is Amalek, and so. In his death, his diminishment in the grave, this appearance that he had to look like he lost, he was forsaking these five books of Torah, um, even though that was not his heart. He was diminished in the grave so that the process could begin to completely destroy um, Amadat Zarah from, from the earth and, and therefore allow it to be you know, like the 39 chords of the Zitzit, where we, where we say there's only one God, not multiple gods. Tag. Wow. <laughs> hey. Oh my goodness. First, first, first of all, what is wrong with you? You guys. <laughs> Y'all brought it up. And second of all, my goodness. <laughs> okay. Well, there is a divine response to every type of distress or cry out to Hashem that Hashem answers with. And uh, with, with the help of Hashem, I'll be able to read through this and and also I want to just kind of notate something in here that you mentioned uh earlier Hasis he said that uh Yehoshua was was uh disgraced in the grave or how'd you word that his honor was diminished in the grave just just yeah diminished in the grave okay by removing of the hay okay so I'm gonna come back to that tab it (laughs) yeah uh, I'm going to tab it. I'm going to come back to it. I'm going to swerve right back to this. But right now, we're going to get into uh, 107.6. It says, they cried out to God in the distress, and he saved them from the trouble. It says, this verse with minor variations repeated four times in the psalm to describe the cries of four types of people in distress. The The word for they cried out is spelled here with a zadi, as it is in the verse 28 regarding the sea travelers regarding the cry of prisoners and those suffering from illnesses verse 13 and 19 the psalmist uses a different word according to Radak the two words are identical in meaning and the psalmist uses them interchangeably according to Hazezion one refers to an audible cry whereas the other refers to the cry of the cry of a heart cry of the heart those who are ill do not have the strength to cry out audibly. The cry is therefore in their heart. And an additional variation in the present verse, it says, God saved the desert travel travelers from their troubles. By contrast, he delivered those who are in prison or ill, and he brought, the, he brought out those who are in danger at sea. The word for deliverance is spelled Yeshua, Yud, Sheen, Vav, Ayin, Hey. As <laughs> here, it implies a complete salvation. In the case of the sick who recovers from their imprisonment, 
who are set free, God's response to their cry is a complete salvation. Wow. You know, kind of like Yosef. So, yes. Hold on. Hold on. It's those who are lost in the desert by pointing them in the right direction, but their salvation is not complete until they reach their homes in Shalom. Literally, God takes out his fears in the storm, but their salvation is not complete until they reach their homes in Shalom. And so I say all that because it's like the, the, there's this whole thing about a process of, of God's pointing them in the, in the direction, but their salvation is not complete until they reach their home in Shalom. They reach true peace in their homes. And so I, it's like a, there's a there's a there's a correlation here to a two step redemption process that we keep seeing that is just, uh, you know, uncanny and it's incredible, you know. OK, so that's beautiful. And I had to hold myself from, you know, interrupting you <laughs> because of just these these connections you're bringing out, these connections you're bringing out. And I just have to say, you know. I'm I'm looking at it and I'm seeing Yehoshua's name and I'm seeing the change in that because you mentioned the hay was at the end and I'm thinking well and yes. Yehoshua's name the hay was after the yud and so what I see is the hay is right after the yud and then he goes in the grave to diminish his honor for the the process of salvation to continue the hay had to be removed right and then the hay's at the very end almost like you know, so almost like, you know, this, this hay is at the beginning. It has this, this proper place, right? It's there. It's second only to the yud, and then it gets dropped. It's, it's like gone. It's the, it's like, looks like it's dead. And then there's like this resurrection of this hay. And it's like Yeshua salvation brings forth this hay and attaches it to its rightful place. And so I'm right. the hay it's like five, like the Torah. And so you see this illusion at, at Sinai, right? The Torah comes down, the five, you know, the five, five books, the one Torah, right? And then it's shattered. It disappeared. The words fly off of it. But mm. it's resurrected again. Good night. And so also, this could also correspond as, hey, this five, if you want to pay it five, the, the five knots in our zitzit. So what's interesting about that is, you know, you, you, can you repeat that the, about the Saudi? You mentioned something about the Saudi. Yeah, it says the, the word, the word for, okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm not sure exactly how to say it. So it's, uh, they, yeah, Zaku. So it's, uh, Tehillim 107.6 is the verse. And it's actually the first word in the verse. It's, it's spelled Vav Yud Zadi Ein uh, Kuf Vav. It's spelled here mm. with a. I I think that's you said you said Psalms what? Psalm one oh seven six. One oh seven six. I believe Seven. that is, if not mistaken. Oh man, hold on. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Vayitz Aku. That's this is uh like it almost sounds like Yitzhak. 
It is. Oh, yo, stop it. Yes, yeah. And and isn't so so well okay just just to I'll I'll say what it says. it says they the word spelled here is cried out it's spelled here with a zadi as it is in the verse regarding the sea traveler and that's all they that's all they say about the zadi so wow and, sorry I, I, okay no so I'm I'm just thinking so you you said it spelled with the zadi what was the emphasis on that again I apologize. The uh, it says okay, so I'll just uh, it says the word for they cried out. The is the yitzaku is spelled here with a zadi, as it is in verse as it is in verse twenty eight regarding the sea travelers. Ooh, okay, so it's this idea. This zadi is being highlighted, right? And so you have the five, like the hey you mentioned, these five knots of the tefillin, and what are the five knots on? They're on the zitzit. And so you have this idea of the, the, the zadi being highlighted. And the zadi, it's also this, this letter that has to do also with, um, it almost looks like if you take the, the first zadi and the, the last zadi, the final zadi is like a descent almost. And the rabbis say this is a sadiq. And one of the principles of the sadiq, this righteous person, is to descend into the lower realms in order to elevate everyone else. And I, I can't but help but imagine this is also the role of our zitzit that we have on our four quarter garments. It's there, even though we're in this, this lower world, it's there to elevate us out from certain situations. It's to remind us there of all the commandments of Hashem. And on a, on a deeper level, uh, in Midrash Rabbah Korach, it says that, a double sadi, like there is in Zitzit, alludes to Mashiach. If you see double zadis next to each other, this alludes to Mashiach. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, what you're saying. It says, don't look to it, but look to him. Who is him? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who is him? It's the, there's double zadis, though. So who is him? It's Mashiach. Wow. It's him who has those, those five those five knots, and I imagine that Mashiach, when he was being bitten, or beaten, excuse me, that he had all these knots on on his face and on his body. And I wonder if he had five knots. I mean, there's nothing there that I know of, but I wonder if he had five knots like the zitzit, just standing there as a reminder for the world to elevate something beyond its its physical carnal nature. He would have had five piercings. Yes, that's true. That's true. So the other thing with that is the two zadis. That's ninety plus ninety, which is one eighty. One eighty is like if you just take the uh, the standard mathematical terminology of a complete about face. You know, so whatever your feet are running towards, if you do a one eighty, that would be you looking upon him. You know, like turning from your sin, making teshuva. Wow. So if you make if you make half teshuva, you're not necessarily looking upon the one who completes your salvation. Is that what you're saying? Correct. If you only have one sadi, it's not good. Wow. Man. 
Well, Brugeshim? Brugeshimo. Brugeshimo. Well, uh, I think we've reached a Selah, and there has been quite the information and insight drawn upon us. And so uh, I am very honored to be a part of this with you guys. And appreciate everyone being available for this podcast. Yeah. Appreciate you for inviting us to this podcast. Definitely. I appreciate the whole conversation and uh, delving into the tour with you uh, fine gentlemen. Well, uh, (laughs) that's right. Well, um, if it's okay with everyone, unless we have anything else we'd like to bring out, I was going to go ahead and conclude our time. Okay. Um, So with that being said, as our fearless leader, Captain Yisrael, a.k.a. Robin Griffin always says, what do we know? What do we know? So I would like to uh, do the closing beer cot for the Haftarah. Since we've kind of covered the Haftarah, the Basora, <laughs> the Torah, like everything. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Like a complete 180. No. <laughs> and then nice. <laughs> two Zotties, right? Two Zotties. But, uh, you know, we originally started off with the Haftarah. So, you know, we're just showing that everything is connected. So. I'm Everyone a, ever I'm thinks a, that just because we study Haftarah, that means no Torah or Besorah or vice versa, you know? So, yeah, that's a Chasve Shalom because everything is a Chai. So, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe. Zur Ha'olamin, the rock of all eternities, righteous in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does who speaks and fulfills, all of whose words are true and righteous. Trustworthy are you, Adonai, our God, and trustworthy are your words. Not one of your words is turned back to its origin unfulfilled. Might I add and interrupt my prayer here that when we make teshuva, that we will not be unfulfilled. We will complete that which Hashem created us to do. Just like Rahav. That's right. So, Hashem, none of your words are turned back to its origin unfulfilled. For you are God, our trustworthy and compassionate King. Blessed are you, Adonai, who is trustworthy in all your words. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Well, to the listeners, Lila Tov and blessings upon you on, on your week and on your Shabbat. Chasis and Ishpela, bless both of you for your diligence in Torah study, cleaving and attaching yourself to Mashiach Yeshua, and um, being available to co host on this podcast has been such a great joy. Yes, blessings upon you in your household as well. Uh, may y'all have a wonderful, wonderful air of tomorrow night uh, as we usher in a another Shabbat. Just Hashem. Amen. Gam Man, bless you, brothers. And All right. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank y'all. Baruch Hashem. All right. Well, Lala Tov, everyone, and Shavuot Tov.
שלום. שלום. אחים, שלום לסנאצ'. שלום.